0: Lesson 7 for May 6th through to twelve, Servant Leadership. Sabbath Afternoon, May 6th. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as we open your word again, and there are so many things we just don't fully understand, but one of the things we see in looking at the life of Jesus is the style of leadership that he had. He cared for those that he led. And we pray as we look into the books of 1st and 2nd Peter this week and see what you require of us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is 1st Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Let's read that again, 1st Peter chapter 5 verse 7. "'Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you.'" Studies of growing churches almost always highlight the importance of effective leadership. This leadership takes its vision from God and His Word and provides opportunity for everybody in the congregation to exercise his or her own spiritual gifts in pursuit of the Gospel Commission. But church leadership is highly challenging – Volunteers, who often give of their time, even though they already are busy, largely run churches. Members can vote with their feet by ceasing to attend if something happens that they cannot support. Furthermore, an effective Christian leader also must be deeply spiritual. And we shouldn't forget that Peter is writing to churches that are experiencing persecution. The church leader is particularly vulnerable at such times. Who then is equipped for this task In 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through to 10 Peter addresses the matter of Christian leadership on the local church level In these verses he writes about some of the crucial characteristics needed not just in the local leaders but in members as well His words are as relevant for us today as they were then Sunday, May seven, elders in the early church. Question: Look up the following texts: Acts six one to six, fourteen verse twenty three, fifteen verse six, and First Timothy chapter five verse seventeen and First Peter chapter five and verse two. What insights do these verses give us regarding the challenges facing the early church and the role of its leaders? First of all. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through to 6. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves to continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And Acts 14.23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And Acts 15.6. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And First Timothy 5.17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honour especially those who labour in the word and doctrine. And First Peter 5, verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. A large group of people becoming believers and joining the church is a great blessing from God. Yet, As the experience of the earliest Christians illustrates, rapid growth can bring problems. For instance, Acts chapter 1 through to chapter 5 documents the leading of the Holy Spirit and the conversion of many to Christianity. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 6, which we've just read, shows the result. The group became too big for its leadership, and it needed to put structures in place in order to manage the day-to-day functions of the church. The issue that brought this weakness in organisational structure to a head was a complaint of discrimination. The Greek-speaking group complained that its widows were neglected in the daily distribution of food. As a response, a group of people, the deacons, were especially appointed to assist the Twelve Apostles with the management of the Church's resources. It is true that the early Church was led by the Holy Spirit in a special way. But even then, there was a need to set up church structures. One key group of church leaders needed very early was the elders, who were established for every local congregation. In fact, appointing elders to lead these newly formed groups of Christians was something that Paul and Barnabas did as they went to places that had yet to hear about Jesus, as we read in Acts 14.23. Elders were given many different roles in early Christianity. As leaders of their local community, from time to time, they acted as instructors in teaching new converts. They preached, and they ensured the necessary things were done for the well-being of the community, as we read in Acts 15, 1 Timothy 5, and 1 Peter chapter 5 just a couple of minutes ago. So to finish the day. What are ways that you can learn to work better with the leaders in your local church, even when you don't always agree on things? Monday, May 8. The Elders. Question. Read 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through to 4. What attitude should leaders bring to their roles in the Church? How can these principles apply to any of us, regardless of our role? 1 Peter 5, beginning at verse 1. The Elders, who are among you, I exhort... I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Peter begins his instructions to elders by observing that he himself is a fellow elder. He then notes two things about himself. He is a witness of the suffering of Christ, and he is expecting to share in the glory to be revealed. In saying this, Peter highlights the first characteristic that should be found within an elder. An elder should understand the importance of what Christ has suffered in our behalf and what great hope he offers us. Peter likens the role of an elder to a shepherd tending the flock of God. His comparing at church to sheep suggests that, like sheep, members can sometimes go off on their own. Thus, they need the shepherd to guide them back to the group and to help them work in harmony with it. The elder also should function as a humble example of how a Christian needs to act. Question. What warning do we find here in these verses for those who are shepherds? Jeremiah 10 and verse 21, and that reads... For the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. And Ezekiel 34, verses 8 through to 10. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds... Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, and they, that they may no longer be food for them. And Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 17. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither, and his right eye shall be totally blinded. An important role of Christian leadership is to work with the people in the church as patiently as shepherds must work with their sheep. Elders must gently bring them together for worship and for sharing the message of Jesus with those who need to know him and the salvation found in him. Peter also observes that elders should exercise oversight willingly and not under compulsion. It is not always easy to find people willing to take on the challenges of leading out in the church. This is particularly evident around nominating committee time. For a church to function well, there are a number of distinct roles that need to be filled. There are reasons that many people are reluctant to take on leadership roles. Some of these roles require a considerable investment of time, and people suitable for such roles already might have many commitments. Others may feel that they are not prepared well enough to take on the role. But Peter's word is that if asked, we should willingly take on leadership if it is at all possible. Tuesday, may nine servant leadership Question Read first Peter chapter five verse three and Matthew chapter twenty verses twenty to twenty eight. What crucial principles of Christian leadership are found in these texts? First of all, first Peter chapter five verse three Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by the Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. In Greek, the word, the key word in First Peter five three, is katakuriontes The same word also is found in Matthew twenty twenty five, and means to exercise dominion or to lord it over someone. Thus, the instruction to elders given in First Peter five three might be translated, "Do not lord it over those in your charge." And reflects the words of Jesus in Matthew twenty twenty five. Matthew twenty twenty to twenty three provides the context for the sayings of Jesus in Matthew twenty verses twenty four to twenty eight. The mother of James and John had approached Jesus with the request that when Jesus came into his kingdom, one son should sit on his right hand and the other at his left. Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages page five hundred and forty eight. Jesus bears tenderly with them, not rebuking their selfishness in seeking preference above their brethren. He reads their hearts. He knows the depth of their attachment to him. Their love is not a mere human affection. Though defiled by the earthliness of its human channel, it is an outflowing from the fountain of his own redeeming love. He will not rebuke, but deepen and purify. End of quote. Jesus explains that this position of honour is one that is granted by the Father, not by him. But then he goes on to explain that a key difference between his kingdom and those of the Gentile nations is the type of leader that will emerge in his kingdom. Those who wish to lead in the kingdom, where Jesus is king, must become servants because the leaders in Jesus' kingdom will be like Jesus'. The Son, as it says in Matthew twenty twenty-eight, of man, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Thus, Peter is calling church leaders to the same ideal. The surrender of self-denial seen in Jesus must be revealed in them as well. And so to finish today, read Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through to 8. And I left out verse 4 at the beginning. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. How does what Paul says here coincide with what Peter wrote? More important, how can we do the things that we are called to do in these verses? Wednesday, May 10, Clothed with Humility Society was very stratified in the ancient world in which Peter lived. The ruling elite had what today might be called a commanding presence. Around them were clustered people of lower rank, and the lowest rank of all belonged to a slave. Humility was the proper attitude of those of lower rank toward those of a higher one. The Greek word for humility carries the meaning of lowly, insignificant, weak, and poor. It describes people without status and power in society. In the world outside of Judaism and Christianity, the word humble was associated with those of low status, and to act humbly would not necessarily have been commended as appropriate conduct of free people. Question Read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through to 7. Given the context and time in which they lived, what is so remarkable about what Peter wrote here? 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through to 7. And that reads, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another, And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves unto the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. In the Bible, humility is seen in a different light from how it was seen in the times and cultures in which Peter lived. Peter quotes proverbs chapter three verse thirty four from the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, a verse that is also quoted in james four six let's read proverbs three thirty four surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. In the Old Testament, part of God's work in history is to lay low the high and mighty, as we read just from one illustration in Isaiah 13, verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. One's proper attitude toward God is humility. As Peter says in verse 6 there, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Humility rather than pride should characterise the Christian's relationship, not only with God, but with others, as we read in verse 5 too. Christians, even Christian leaders, are aware that they are sinners saved by God's grace. In this most important sense, then, we are all equals, and before the cross we should all be humbled. And this humility must be revealed in our relationship with others, especially those over whom we have charge. Sure, anyone could be humble before God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Also, it's relatively easy to be humble before those who are above us, who have power over us, and who are higher in status than we are. The true test comes when we reveal humility toward those who are under us, who have no power over us. That's the kind of humility Peter is talking about here. And so, to finish the day, what is it about the cross and what it represents that should always keep us humble? thursday may 11 like a roaring lion as we've seen already peter wrote against the backdrop of persecution the great controversy theme wasn't just abstract theology to his readers they were experiencing it in a way that many of us have not at least for now question read 1 peter chapter 5 verses 8 to 10 and revelation chapter 12 verses 7 through to 9 what do these texts teach us about the origin of evil and the work of Satan in our world? 1 Peter 5, verses 8-10 to 10, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And Revelation 12, 7 through to 9. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The book of Revelation reveals that Christians play a part in a cosmic battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil in revelation the forces of good are led by jesus who is the word of god the king of kings and the lord of lords as it says in revelation 19. the forces of evil are led by the devil also called satan and pictured as a dragon in revelation twelve seven to 9 though popular media and even some christians deny the reality of satan The fact is that the devil is a powerful being who has only evil intentions for us. Yet the good news is that the devil will ultimately be destroyed at the end, as we read in Revelation 20 verses 9 and 10. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil, who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night, for ever and ever. Peter does not diminish the danger the devil represents. The devil is like a roaring lion that is looking to devour all he can, as we read uh, earlier in First Peter 1 and verse 8. Peter points out too that his readers can see the power of the devil in their own present suffering, as we uh, read in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Question. Having read First Peter 5.10, what is Peter saying to us there? Though we don't know the exact nature of their trials, what we can see is the hope that Peter expresses. Yes, the devil is real, the battle is real, and our sufferings are real. But the God of all grace has defeated the devil. So, whatever we are suffering, if we remain faithful even unto death. Victory is assured thanks to Jesus. And we read our final text for today in Hebrews eleven thirteen to 16 which is the heavenly hope. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. To finish today, how can we learn to hold on in faith, enduring to the end, Regardless of what comes our way, Friday, May twelve. A great example of the servant leadership of Jesus is found in his behaviour at the Last Supper. At that time, Jesus was fully conscious of who he was, the Son of God, and that he was about to return to his Father. After the meal, he washed the feet of the disciples. He then said, "'If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example,' that ye should do as I have done to you. That's John 13, verses 14 and 15. Each time the followers of Jesus wash one another's feet. They not only reenact this scene, but they remind each other that to be a leader in Jesus' kingdom, one must become as a servant. No doubt, for the rest of their lives, especially after they better understood just who Jesus was, the disciples remembered this act of humility on the part of their Master. No doubt, too, it was on Peter's mind when he called on church elders not to lord it over others, but to be clothed in humility. Ellen White writes in Sons and Daughters of God, page 81, In consenting to become man, Christ manifested a humility that is the marvel of the heavenly intelligences. The act of consenting to be a man would be no humiliation were it not for the fact of Christ's exalted pre-existence. We must open our understanding to realise that Christ laid aside his royal robe, his kingly crown, his high command, and clothed his divinity with humanity, that he might meet man where he was, and bring to the human family moral power to become the sons and daughters of God the meekness and humility that characterized the life of Christ will be made manifest in the life and character of those who walk even as he walked. End of quote. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Jesus began his ministry by confronting the devil. Weakened by 40 days of fasting, he was able to resist the devil's temptations by quoting scripture, and you can read that in Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke chapter 4 as well. What does this tell us about how we too can resist the devil in our own lives? 2. What are examples you have seen of what appeared to be true humility in others? What can you learn from those examples? 3. In class, answer this question. Besides what Peter taught in the verses for this week, what are the qualities of a good Christian leader? How might those qualities overlap with good qualities in secular leaders? How might they differ? And four, how would you answer the claim that Satan is not real, but just a symbol of the evil found in human nature? Inside Story Our mission story this week is part two of God is a Faithful Husband. I must remind you there's a part three coming as well. Let's start. Four months later, my husband became ill, complaining of pain in his stomach and chest. He wanted to go to the hospital, so I went to find someone who could take him there. While I was gone, he died in the arms of our two oldest children, seven and eight years old. I returned to find my husband dead and my children crying and confused. I became angry with God. How can this happen when I've just given my life to you? I demanded to know. But no answer came. I wanted to die too. Others had to care for my children and make the funeral arrangements. Somehow we made it through the funeral. Then the realisation hit me. He is gone. I had no job and five children to care for. How will I survive? We were renting a house, but soon after my husband's funeral, the landlord came to tell us we had to move. My husband's oldest brother invited us to stay in his home. The relationship was stressful, and after nine months, we left. My uncle rented a house for the children and me to live in, but I needed to work. My younger sister came to live with us and care for my children so I could work in the marketplace, buying wholesale vegetables and selling them at a profit. It was difficult, tiring work. The hours were long, and I earned very little. I began attending evening class to learn a skill that would support my family better. Through all my trials, the brothers and sisters of the church supported me. People cared for my children while I worked and attended classes. Others helped with food and money. God sent other compassionate friends to help as well. I wanted to share God's love with others while I worked, so I began selling Seventh-day Adventist literature. Every day, God provided what we needed and strengthened my faith. After a year, I was offered work in the Adventist publishing house. I thank God for caring for us through these difficult times. When the children lost their father, God became their father. He has supplied our needs and helped me train them. I taught them to love and glorify God, and they are faithful to Him. And this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. Have a great Sabbath. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harrell. It was recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind. This podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the Services of Hope Channel.